Thank you for choosing the podcast of East Haven Baptist Church in Brookhaven, Mississippi. For more information on the ministries of East Haven and to access videos and sermon notes from our services, visit www.easthaven.net. Pray with me. Lord God, we give you thanks for the powerful name of Jesus. We give you thanks for that name that is above every name. We give you thanks that everything that we desire, everything that we search for, everything that we need is completely wrapped up in the name of Jesus. And so, Father, it's in the name of Christ that we gather together today. We've worshiped in song. Father, we desire to worship you as we look at your truth. And so, God, we ask that you would grant us your wisdom. Pray that you would grant us your understanding. Pray that you would help us to grasp the truth that you want to give to us today. And that because of that, we would never be the same. That you would transform us by your word. Sanctify them by your truth, pray Jesus. Your word is truth. And we ask that you would do just that this morning, that you would sanctify us, you would set us apart, and you would work in us and just more clearly reveal the image of Christ in us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I think that every one of us at some point in time has wrestled with God. We've wrestled with things that we find in God's Word. We've wrestled sometimes when we look at the activity of God and we don't understand it, and sometimes we look at what appears to be God's inactivity and we don't understand it. And I think every single one of us have gone through seasons where we have wrestled with God. And today, as we start this new series in the book of Habakkuk, we start out with that very idea. We find that the prophet Habakkuk is wrestling with God. Now, if you're looking for the book of Habakkuk, and I know some of you are saying, where on earth is it? Well, if you go to the book of Matthew, and then go five books to the left, back into the Old Testament, you'll find the book of Habakkuk. And Habakkuk, it's a, you can easily flip past it. You just, you, you just go back five books, and there it is. And it's only three chapters long. And Habakkuk is categorized as one of the minor prophets. Now, when we say minor, we don't mean unimportant. We're just talking about a prophet who has written in brief. So it's just short. It's a short book. So he's referred to as one of the minor prophets. It's helpful to know, also, when we talk about a prophet, when we see a prophet in the Bible... So many times, the first thing that we default to is saying a prophet is someone who foretells the future. But that is only part of a prophet's role. Sometimes we find prophets that act in such a way that they don't foretell the future. It has been said that a prophet is one who, who not only foretells, but also someone who forthtells. It may be that that prophet is foretelling something that is to happen, and it may be that that prophet is forthtelling. That is something that is already written, 
the prophet is calling people to obey the word of God that has already been written. So essentially, we look at a prophet not as a fortune teller or someone who is foretelling the future, but someone who is a spokesperson for God. That's the idea of a prophet. And we find that when Habakkuk writes his prophecy, writes these three chapters in the book of Habakkuk, we find that his contemporaries are Jeremiah and also Zephaniah. Zephaniah is just one book to the right. So Jeremiah and Zephaniah and Habakkuk all prophesied during the same time frame. Well, why is that important to understand? Because it's important to understand what's going on in their world at this time. Now, if you go back into the Old Testament, you find that after King Solomon died, the, the nation was divided into two separate nations. You had the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. Now, now we just look at the map and we say there's Israel. Well, at that time, they would say Israel was the northern kingdom. And then the area down south of what would be southern Israel today, the area of, of Jerusalem and all the area around that, that was referred to as Judah. So you had Israel and you had Judah. So you have Habakkuk writing his prophecy concerning the southern kingdom, the kingdom of Judah. Now, what had happened that led Habakkuk to write this? Well, there was a king. His name was King Josiah. King Josiah was a good king. King Josiah accomplished a great many reforms. He tore down a lot of idols. King Josiah established the correct worship of the one true God. He reestablished that. But then after King Josiah died, very shortly after, the whole nation went back to their old ways. They went back to the way that they were living beforehand. And it's in this environment that we find Habakkuk voicing his complaint. And I say voicing his complaint because that's what he does. The book of Habakkuk is, is unique in this way, that Habakkuk never goes directly to the people and says, thus saith the Lord to you. We find other prophets doing that, but Habakkuk doesn't. Instead, Habakkuk speaks directly to God, and God answers Habakkuk. And they are back and forth on this discussion. Now, one way to look at the book of Habakkuk is if you were to take some of the themes that are found throughout the book of, of Jeremiah, because Jeremiah is prophesying in the same way, but if you are about the same time and about the same people, if you look at the book of Jeremiah and you pull some of those themes, and then you pulled a few of the themes from maybe the book of Job, and you kind of sprinkled them together, mix them up, and then boil that down to three chapters, you would end up with basically what the book of Habakkuk is saying. What the book of Habakkuk deals with is how do we understand God when all the world around us seems to be going contrary to God and God doesn't seem to be acting. He doesn't seem to be responding. How do we live in that sort of environment? What is it like when we wrestle with God? And that's what we're talking about today as we look at Habakkuk chapter one. Habakkuk is wrestling with God. And in the midst of wrestling with God, what are some of the things that we can know 
to be absolutely certain. Sometimes these things may comfort us. Sometimes they may disturb us. But what are some things that we can know for certain? Well, the first one is this. God's presence is often hidden by his silence. His presence is often hidden by his silence. Look at how Habakkuk begins in Habakkuk chapter 1. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. Some translations say the burden that Habakkuk the prophet saw. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. God's presence is often hidden by his silence. Habakkuk is looking around the nation of Judah, and he is saying, God, these people have turned against you. These people are rebelling against you. These people aren't paying attention to you. They are going their own way, and I'm crying out to you and asking you to respond and how long are you going to remain silent? God's presence is often hidden by his silence. Notice what he says in verse 3. Why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you idly look at wrong? He's making an accusation to God. God, you are standing by and you are just idle. Not I-D-O-L, but idle. You're not doing anything. You're inactive. It just seems like you're just watching all these things happen in our nation and you're not responding. And then notice what he says. Destruction and violence are before me. He says, I'm watching what's happening in Judah. There's destruction going on. People are destroying themselves. They're tearing the very fabric of our culture apart. I'm seeing violence all around me. There's strife and there's contention. And then he says in verse 4, so the law is paralyzed. Literally, the law is chilled, it's frozen, it's ineffective, it has grown cold. And then he says that justice never goes forth, and the wicked surround the righteous, and then he says and when justice does go forth, it goes forth perverted. It's not even the right kind of justice. It's twisted justice. So Habakkuk is voicing this to God, and he's saying, God, where are you? And what Habakkuk is about to realize is that God's presence is often hidden by a silence. How many times have you experienced that silence of God? That deep, echoing silence of God? How you just cry out to God and there just seems to be empty space. There just seems to be nothing. Your prayers don't seem to get any further than the ceiling. Many years ago, I worked at a radio station. And there was one thing that among DJs that terrified us more than anything else. Not a disgruntled caller. You could always put them on hold indefinitely. But the thing that would disturb you more than anything else was radio silence. When you press the button or you flip the switch and you began to speak or you, you brought up a song and began to play it and you realized in your earphones there was nothing. Maybe there was a technical problem. Maybe there was some sort of electronic glitch. 
But whatever was going on, there was radio silence. And we understood, we were told from the get-go, for every second there is radio silence. That is one more second that a listener is apt to change the station. So radio silence was terrifying. But God's type of radio silence can be terrifying to us. God, why aren't you listening? God, aren't you listening? God, don't you, don't you hear me? Don't you hear me when I'm crying out to you? Aren't, don't you hear me when I'm praying to you? Don't you care? Aren't you concerned? Habakkuk is not the first person to voice this. We find the same idea in the Psalms of David. In Psalm 13, David writes, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? David's expressing the same idea. God, how long? How long, God? Why don't you answer? It wasn't the only time David mentioned that. In Psalm 22, David writes, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. Day and night, he's crying out, and God does not seem to answer. And, and David is brokenhearted. Habakkuk is brokenhearted because they're crying out to God, and in the midst of that silence, God's presence is hidden. Job, perhaps, if you look through the book of Job, you find Job's complaints. And I don't know if there's a verse that is more heartbreaking than Job chapter 30, verse 20. As Job speaks to God, he says, I cry to you for help and you do not answer me. I stand and you only look at me. Job saying, God, it's, it's like you're just... It's like you're just somebody who is just standing by. It's like you're just an observer. I'm in the midst of my pain. I'm in the midst of crying out to you. I'm begging you to help me. And it's as though you're just standing there with your hands in your pockets and you're just looking at me. But God's presence is often hidden by his silence. His silence can be so heavy. And his silence, those periods of silence can seem so long. But in the middle of that, God is present. I mentioned earlier that Jeremiah was a contemporary of Habakkuk. Listen to what Jeremiah writes. Jeremiah 14, 7. Though our iniquities testify against us, act, O Lord, for your name's sake. For our backslidings are many. We have sinned against you. O you hope of Israel, its Savior in time of trouble. Why should you be like a stranger in the land, like a traveler who turns aside to tarry for a night? Why should you be like a man confused, like a mighty warrior who cannot save? He's saying, Lord, why, why would you act like a traveler who is weary and just stops off on the way to his goal and stops off and spends the night somewhere, just resting? Or why should you be like a warrior, a mighty warrior, and you, you have the capacity to go to battle, you have the capacity to win the war, yet you're confused and you act like you don't know which side you're fighting for, and so you do nothing. And he says, but I know that's, that's the way it seems, but that's not who you are. And then notice what Jeremiah says. Yet you, O Lord, are in the midst of us, and we are called by your name. 
do not leave us. Even in the midst of it feeling like God was absent, Jeremiah said, Lord, you're in the midst of us. Your presence is here. Even in the silence, your presence is here. Are you willing to say that? Now, I know you say, but I don't feel it. No, no, no. It's not based on feelings. It's based on the truth of the word of God. If you're a child of God, if you're a follower of Christ, you can say, even if it feels like God is not here, he is. Even when God is silent, he's still present. In fact, I was thinking back over times in my life that I've experienced grief or loss, and people have come alongside me to give me comfort. Do you know those who have given the most comfort? The most comforting thing has not been people's words. I actually can think of very few words that were given to me that have proved to be a lasting comfort that I go back to. But I can tell you one thing. It's people's presence. When someone comes alongside you and they're just there with you, they don't even have to say a word. They're just there with you. And just by them being present, that brings you comfort. And the same needs to be true for us and God. We need to cultivate such an intimate relationship with God that even when God is silent, we can say, God, I trust you because I know you're here. Even if I don't feel you're here, I know that you're here and I'm going to trust you. We can trust God even amidst that silence, knowing that he is present. So after Habakkuk voices this to God, God answers. Now, you would think that's going to be super encouraging to Habakkuk. Well, let's read on. Verse 5, look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. Now that sounds really positive. In fact, whenever I was a student pastor up in Tennessee, one of my student interns walked in one day and he said, I have the perfect verse for a t-shirt for the students. And he said, I want to put Habakkuk 1.5 on the back of that t-shirt. Look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded for I'm doing a work in your days that you would not believe if it were told. Doesn't that sound exciting? I said, did you read the rest of the verses? No, we don't need to put that on a t-shirt. Why not? It sounds encouraging. Yes, but read the rest of the verses. It's about judgment coming judgment. I don't think we want to traipse off to camp, letting everybody know we're expecting the future judgment of God, and we're all excited about that, because that's what we can look forward to as a student ministry. Let's not. So he went back, and he read some of Habakkuk, and he came back and said, bad idea, you're right. Look at, look at what God explains. God says, I'm going to look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded, for I'm doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. What's going on here? God's answer may seem more confusing than the problem. God's about to give Habakkuk an answer, and that answer is going to confound Habakkuk's understanding. It's exactly what God said would happen. Look among the nations, wonder, and be astounded. Habakkuk, this is going to astound you. This is going to confuse you. This is going to perplex you. And you wouldn't believe it even if it were told to you, but now I'm about to tell you and you're not going to believe it, which is exactly what happens. God moves on. Verse 6, 
For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans. Anytime you see the word Chaldeans in the Bible, you can just put in the word Babylonians, same people. I'm raising up the Chaldeans. I'm raising up the Babylonians. And then is as though Habakkuk has forgotten how bad these people are, God tells him. He goes into grand detail to explain to Habakkuk how bad these future invaders are going to be and how badly they are going to treat the people of Judah as they are used as an instrument of judgment against Judah's sin. Habakkuk is saying, God, why don't you do something about Judah's sin? It is so over the top. It is so out of control. Why don't you do something? And God said, I am. I'm going to send judgment by an enemy invading your nation. Wait a minute. Wait, 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 wait. What? God's answer may seem more confusing than the problem. Verse 6, for behold, I'm raising up the Chaldeans, says God, that bitter and hasty nation who marched through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves, meaning their idea of what it means to be uh, loyal and their idea of what honor means, their idea of justice, it's all from their own understanding. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. The evening wolves were the wolves that didn't get to eat during the day for whatever reason, and so come nightfall, they're ravenous. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They're speedy in their approach and in their attack. They all come for violence, all their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. That's how easily they gather up their captives, just like scooping up a handful of sand. But that's also uh, uh, symbolic of the, the magnitude of the people they take captive. All these grains of sand you can pick up with one hand. They gather up their captives that easily and they gather them up in mass. At kings, they scoff. And at rulers, they laugh. They laugh at every fortress for they pile up earth and take it. The Chaldeans would come upon a, a fortress and the people would think they were safe and they would build up a, a siege ramp. They would pile up dirt and rocks and make a ramp up the side of the wall that they could travel up and go over the top of the wall. Verse 11, then they sweep by like the wind and go on. Guilty men whose own might is their God. God says that they worship their own strength like they worship a God himself. And so they're so turned in on themselves and they are they're marauding and they're pillaging and they're murdering and they're stealing and they're ruling and they're conquering and they don't care. And Habakkuk starts asking some questions of God, starting with verse 12. Now he's confused and it comes out in his response. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my Holy One? We shall not die O oh Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment, and you, O oh rock, have established them for reproof. We'll come back to verse 12. Verse 13. You who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? Oh, okay, God, we're bad. Judah has sinned. We're, we've, been, we've been working against you, but but... But the Chaldeans? I mean, that doesn't seem right. Uh, 
I mean, we're bad, but they're terrible. So how are you going to use terrible people to judge some bad people? And if the bad people really and truly by comparison aren't that bad, God, this doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem fair. And it doesn't seem like you, you're holy, that you would even stand by for this. Verse 14, you make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. He brings all of them up with a hook. He's talking about the Chaldeans now. He brings all of them up with a hook. He drags them out with his net. He gathers them in his dragnet. So he rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net and makes offerings to his dragnet. For by them, he lives in luxury and his food is rich. He's saying that these, these Chaldeans, the very means they use to capture people, like a net captures fish in the sea. They turn around and they praise and they worship their own strength, their own might, their own power, their own cunning. Verse 17, is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? God, we're, okay, God, we're bad, but why don't you do something about the Babylonians? Well, I want you to do something in Judah, but the, but the Babylonians? That doesn't seem right that you would use them. God's answer can seem more confusing than the problem itself. Because so often we don't want to go through the things we, we need to go through in order to reach God's solution. We, we cry out for revival, but we don't talk about repentance. And we cry out for revival, but in the case of Habakkuk, he's crying out, God, do something, make us right with you. And God says, I'm going to send judgment. We want the fruit of perseverance, but we don't want the root of suffering to be planted to give rise to that fruit. We want the promised land and we say, oh God, please send, a, send us the blessings of the promised land. But Lord, just uh, can you hold off on that whole wandering in the wilderness thing? I'm not really into that. That's not how it works. So many times God's solution seems much more confusing than the problem that we were facing to begin with. That's exactly what God has said. See, wonder, and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. You find that throughout the Bible, so many times people wrestle with the way that God does things. We wrestle today with the way that God does things. It's because we are not God and he is. J. Vernon McGee made a statement one time where he said something along the lines of, now, uh, you may think you have a better way of running the universe, but yet it's God's universe. And when you have your own universe, you can run it like you want to run it. But it's God's universe, and he's going to run it as he sees fit. But sometimes that confuses us. Sometimes that worries us. Sometimes that creates doubt and fear. We find this in Psalm 73, when a man by the name of Asaph pins these words. Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Asaph is honest enough to say, well, I have firm standing in God, but to be honest, my feet had almost slipped. When I looked at people getting away with things, when I looked at situations and it didn't seem like God was answering, when I looked at this lack of justice that was going on, the lack of true justice going on, when I, when I saw these things happening, my feet almost slipped. 
He said, I almost had stumbled because I looked at how the, I was envious and looking at how the arrogant and those who were evil were succeeding and they were getting ahead. Well, God has a solution. God has a way of doing things. We like to quote Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us. Some translations say, now he is he who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. Now let's just think about this for a moment. If God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we think, should it, all no, should it not also stand to reason that sometimes God's solutions being exceedingly abundantly above what we think are going to seem confusing to us by virtue of the fact that they are exceedingly abundantly above what we think we sometimes look at god's plans god's solutions and we cast doubt on those and it's not a deficiency on the part of god it's because we have a deficiency in understanding and we can't grasp what god is doing so when God does something that is so far beyond us, granted, it's going to seem confusing. There are times that you as parents and you as grandparents, you have done things that your children and your grandchildren are saying, I don't understand why you did that. But you understand it's for their good. You understand it's for their safety. You understand because you're looking forward to an end that you can see that they can't comprehend yet. And in the same way, God works solutions that are so far beyond us, yet we sometimes respond to him just as children and grandchildren may respond to us. I don't understand why you're doing that. It doesn't make any sense. I don't, I don't get it. This makes no sense. This, I don't even, this, this, this is totally out of the ordinary. This is something that it makes, I don't even, this, I can't even get my head around that. Right. So how much more so do the things of God confound us from time to time? And we can say that that answer may seem more confusing, but we have to trust him. So in the midst of that silence, we find that God's presence is sometimes hidden. And God's answer may seem more confusing than the problem. But here's another thing we can trust. Verse 12, God's plan is always true to his character. God's plan is always true to his character. Look back at verse 12. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my Holy One? Now, don't miss this. God, you're from everlasting. You're eternal, but you're also holy, meaning you're eternally holy, meaning you've always been holy. You're always going to be holy. You are an everlasting, holy God. We shall not die. Now, that may seem like a, uh, a, a kind of a desperate statement, but it's not. Habakkuk understands. God, you're a holy God. You're a dependable God. We can trust you, so we won't die. Oh, sure, they may come in. They may annihilate some of us. They, they may take some of us off into captivity, which is what they did. They may do all sorts of cruel things to us, but ultimately, we as a people are not going to die. Now, he's not talking about each, individuals, but he, each individual, but he's talking about them as a people. They're not going to be utterly blotted out. Even though some of them may die, not everyone is going to perish. Oh, Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment, and you, O rock, have established them for, for reproof. 
Lord, you have decided that they are going to be the ones who are going to come in and exercise that judgment upon us for our evil. And ultimately, God's going to turn around and judge them. Now, we're going to talk about this more in the next couple of weeks. But here's the incredibly somewhat confusing thing. Judah sinned against God. God said, you people, I'm going to bring judgment upon you to line you back up with me. So I'm going to bring in these evil people and I'm going to bring them in and allow them to come in and invade you so that you will be put in a position so that you will cry out to me and depend upon me and return to me and then you will repent and you will come back to me. And then I in turn am going to judge the Babylonians for invading you and judging you and acting that way against you. Now I know we can't get our head around all of those intricacies. But the bottom line is that God's plan is always true to his character. God is always, always, always going to do that which befits his character. God is not going to act outside of his character. He can't. He won't deny himself. You find this same theme about we shall not die mentioned in the book of Jeremiah. Remember, Jeremiah is prophesying also about the Babylonians coming to invade. Listen to Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter four, verse 27. For thus says the Lord, the whole land shall be a desolation, yet I will not make a full end. God said, I'm gonna bring the Babylonians. They're going to exercise judgment. They are going to come in and rule over and they're going to conquer, but I won't make a full end of my people. They're not all going to be annihilated. He says the same thing in Jeremiah chapter 5, verse 18. But even in those days, declares the Lord, I will not make a full end of you. And in the Jeremiah 30, verse 11, God flips the script and he talks about how some people will be made a full end of. For I am with you to save you, declares the Lord. I will make a full end of all the nations among whom I scattered you, all those who invaded you. But of you, I will not make a full end. I will discipline you in just measure, and I will by no means leave you unpunished. He's going to do what he needs to do to draw them back to himself, but he's not going to completely and totally annihilate his own people. He's not going to allow them to be completely and totally ruled over in that way forever and ever. This is why in Psalm 45, verse 6, we find this statement. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of uprightness. It is a scepter of righteousness. The symbol of his power is righteousness. His throne is forever. It's the same thing that Habakkuk mentions. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my, the Holy One? The psalmist writes and says, your scepter is a scepter of righteousness. You rule over all things perfectly. Your sovereign will rules over all things righteously in the right way. God is an eternal God. His throne is forever and ever. And the way that he rules from his eternal throne is always right. Even if we don't understand it, we can trust that God is acting true to his character. So where is it in your life that you're wrestling with God? You're wrestling with God through all these cultural upheavals we're experiencing. Then wrestling with God through this uh, pandemic season. 
Maybe you're wrestling with God with some other thing. Maybe it's a financial or a family problem. Maybe it's some sort of health issue that you're going through. Maybe it's just a prayer that you've been praying and you've been seeking God for direction and you don't seem to have any direction. It just, God seems like God is silent in the midst of this so far as direction and so far as leadership is concerned. Whatever it is, wherever it is that you're wrestling with God, in the midst of that, understand that God is still very much present. If you're a child of God, if you're a follower of Christ, God is present. Even in the midst of his silence, he's present. And even when God offers that solution, it may seem very confusing to you because his ways are above our ways. They're not the same. But even in the midst of wrestling with God, you can absolutely always, always, always trust God's character. God will never act contrary to his own character. He will always be true to who he is. So are you wrestling with God? Stay put. Like Habakkuk, voice to God whatever is on your heart. He knows it already. Stay close to him. Listen for his word. Stay close to his word. Treasure up his truth. And then whatever he says... However he tells you to take that step of faith, whatever that looks like, no matter how confusing that solution may seem, no matter how long that silence goes on, trust his character and trust that he will always do what is right. Let's pray. Lord God, we recognize that sometimes the way that you work is very confusing to us. And Father, sometimes it's through those deepest seasons of pain that we find the greatest moments of grace. And Father, nowhere is that more true than at the cross. This cruel act where Jesus, your son, that you sent to earth, he lived a perfect life. And yet, here we are, sinners, who have rebelled against you, O oh God. We've rebelled against your law. We've rebelled against everything that you stand for. We've tried to do things ourselves, our own way. Very much like the Babylonians. We've done what's right in our own eyes. Father, that's the story of all humanity. And you sent your son to live a perfect life here on earth, fully human and fully God, and then to take the penalty of our sin upon himself on the cross. He took our place. The Bible tells us the wages of sin is death. What we deserve for rebelling against you is death. And Jesus took that death upon himself in our place so that we would not have to. And if we trust that sacrifice, if we trust that he is who he says he is, if we trust that he died in our place and that through him, if we receive that and we surrender to a life with Christ, we can have eternal life with you. 
just as Christ rose again on the third day, we too can rise to new life. You make us alive in Christ to have eternal life with him. And Father, we look at that and, and that just blows our mind. This, the worst day of human history was the hinge point of history where we are offered grace and we are offered mercy and we are offered forgiveness because of the blood of Christ. Father, we're thankful for that solution to our problem, the problem that was beyond our own solving and a solution that we would have never thought of ourselves. Father, we're thankful for the beauty of that. And Father, I pray if there's anybody here that's never surrendered to following Christ, they've never surrendered their lives to Jesus, I pray today would be the day they would say yes to you. Maybe they've been wrestling with their own sin, trying to deal with it on their own, by their own strength, by their own understanding. Father, I pray today would be the day they would just lay that down to you. They would lay it before you and surrender to Christ. And Father, there are people who are listening, there are people who are watching, there are people who are here in the room, and Father, they're wrestling. They're wrestling through some decisions. They're wrestling through some apparent seeming inactivity on your part. We know that you're always working. But Father, it just seems like you're silent. Father, I pray in those times of silence that you would just give them strength and perseverance. Pray you give them endurance to continue to continue to pray, to continue to seek, to continue to wait. And when that solution comes, if that solution seems so very confusing, but they know it is from you, Father, I pray they would trust your character, trust that you always act according to your character, and that they would step out in faith and say, yes, Lord, to whatever it is that you lay before them. Lord, may that be true of all of us. That in the midst of our wrestling, you're still God. In the midst of our comfort, you're still God. In our confusion, you're still God. In the depths of the silence of those prayerful nights where it seems like the prayers aren't going very far at all, you're still God. So, Father, may we live like that is completely true because it is. So, Father, I pray that in this time, that as we respond to your word, that you would be, you would just be seen you'd be praised, you'd be magnified, you'd be glorified. And Father, I pray during this time that you would have your way in each of our hearts and in each of our lives for our good. But we ask that ultimately for your glory alone. And it's in Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen.